Welcome to the Monetary Mixtape with Will Hoffman, founder of Hoffman Wealth Management. In this podcast, we help fellow Gen Xers simplify complex wealth issues that are important to Gen X. We do this by cutting out the mundane material and using a refreshing approach to finances in a way this skipped generation appreciates. Join us for this ride where we explore financial planning and wealth management as Will Hoffman draws from almost 20 years of experience and brings to you qualified guests to help be your latchkey to tricky monetary affairs. Welcome to Monetary Mixtape with your host, Will Hoffman, where we talk about the ever-forgotten Generation X. I'm Wendy McConnell. Well, Will, we are going to have some fun today, right? Yes, yes, we are. This is going to be an exciting episode as we are zeroing in on the holiday season. Um, It's a great opportunity for us to talk about the toys and holiday traditions from Generation X that are etched in our memories. Um, and, uh, we have the perfect guest with us to do that today. Uh, today we have John Reddick from Gen X grown up, uh, and I'll let him discuss his, his platforms there. Um, monster YouTube channel, great podcast, uh, a lot of Gen X, uh, gaming history, but I'll let him talk more about that. He is a well-credentialed nerd of the eighties, classic game fan and technology geek. In 2017, he merged those interests into the creation of Gen X Grown Up, YouTube channel, and audio podcast that are celebrating all things Gen X. John, welcome to the Monetary Mixtape. Well, thank you, Will. It's uh, absolutely my pleasure to be invited and uh, really glad to be here. Yeah, we're excited to, to talk about this. This research was fun, um, even mm-hmm. though we, we do like to, to focus a lot on the wealth management topics of Gen X. This is one that we want to keep a little bit light get everybody focused on the holidays and, and enjoying their uh, their holiday season with their friends and family. So just a, a quick little wealth management discussion before we get into all of this. Um, there's, there's always been, or there's been a, a huge discussion in 2022 about inflation. Um, the, the inflation that's impacting a lot of the policy um, having its impact on the markets um, probably impacting our financial plans impacting our, our spending. Um, and it's not new, you know, we've, we've had high inflationary environments in the past. Um, and every year there's an index that's published by, by one of the big banks that discusses the cost of the 12 days of Christmas. It's a fun way to see what it cost last year and what the 12 days of Christmas will cost this year. Fortunately, that index has not been released as of the recording of this episode. So uh, what I was able to find was the cost of Christmas trees, real Christmas trees um, that are making a comeback in households. And I think Gen X is leading that comeback with, with the real Christmas trees, trying to tap into their uh, Ralphie uh, Christmas story um, vibes and, and get access to a real Christmas tree. So if you bought a Christmas tree last year, uh, the average price nationwide of a real Christmas tree was $81 in 2021. This year, a survey by, or uh, yes, the survey by the, of the real Christmas tree board, which is kind of uh, stunning to hear that there is a real Christmas tree board in the United States. Right. Um, <laughs> they interviewed 55 wholesale growers and found that the average price is now going to be approaching $100. 
a $20 increase. And, and they, they um, noted that labor, shipping, um, production costs, which I don't think production of a Christmas tree needed to start well before 2022, right? <laughs> um, but production costs and, and other things have, have led to that increase. So if you are buying a Christmas tree, you're going to see an increase in prices this year. But as we segue into our discussion about uh, Gen X holiday traditions and toys, hopefully all of your beanie baby investments have kept pace with inflation. And maybe it's time to, uh, <laughs> to think about making a sale there so that uh, offsetting the, the cost of inflation will help. Um, John, what do you think? Do you think those beanie babies have kept up? Well, yeah, you got to keep a new in tag, you know, with a, with a tag <laughs> protector on it. And right. Uh, Beanie Babies is one of those what I think everybody thought was going to be, oh, this is my retirement plan. Right. And they, they were kind of doing this little rise. And then only the, the most rare ones really held their value really well, it seems. Uh, and I think that's why so many of the so many of the toys that I claimed were an investment when I was you know, come on, let's buy it. It's good. It's going to do well. I would tell my mom. And then she sold it at the garage sale for 25 cents because it wasn't holding its value. Yeah, that, if she just held on for another 10 years, you know, that's, that's a sore subject that we'll get into uh, here in a second with me. Um, <sighs> I do still have all of my baseball cards. Um, oh, nice. However, I'm still working. So uh, that hasn't really panned out. Although those have made a comeback recently mm -hmm. too, as, as far as popularity is concerned. Um and, you know, the addition of things like Pokemon cards and, and things have uh, have helped there. But but the baseball cards, I'm still holding out that uh, the 13-year-old investor in me that, that had baseball cards <laughs> is going to be right at some point in time very, very soon. Well, it's because nostalgia is such a powerful drug, Will. Yes. It's, it's, when you had it, it was great. Mm -hmm. When it was in the closet, it wasn't great. And then when it went to the yard sale, you didn't care. The problem is what we what nose generation can figure out is that it's that gap between the closet and between 10 years later when I'm an adult and go, God, I missed that thing. Uh -huh. That's when the spike happens in so much yes. of these collectible things, you know, and we're just hitting that Gen X era where everybody's kind of like, oh, it's been gone for 20 years. And now it's hard to find and becomes yes. valuable. But my question is, Will, will you be able to part with those baseball mm. cards? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's no there's no sentimental attachment. There oh, for me. Okay. oh all right. Uh, That's easy. Is what I won't be is a long suffering Pittsburgh Pirates fan. <laughs> um, it is tough to give up the nostalgia of the early 90s when they were good. Um, but it's been such a long time that, yeah, I think time has passed and it's time to, to move on from. From some of those cards, um, I still have. When my you think Will is saying he's a fair weather fan, that's what I got. Yeah, about. yes. Well, yeah. And, and the weather hasn't <laughs> well, been very. And you've fair been beaten down plenty for a long yeah. time, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although I have not, I have not taken on any other baseball teams as my favorite. I just there's there's generations beyond us that have no idea what good baseball in Pittsburgh is is mm. uh, is like. But you just hold out on your true love yeah, and have every. <laughs> so. As we get into Gen X um, holiday traditions, the, the one thing that sticks with me, and, and this isn't something that is unique to Gen X, but it is something that it's hard to find now, and the nostalgia does creep in, was the mall. And, mm. and the shopping malls of the 80s and 90s um, at the holiday season with the train displays and the crowds and 
You couldn't find parking. The food courts were lined up around the corner. Um, you know, you, you had to wait in line to get into tilt while your mom and dad shopped. Um, and now tilt was the name of the arcade in, at least in our say. shopping malls. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah. you're, you're singing my song. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's always something, you know, you go to the malls now and at least the malls in our area are, are nice. They're far and few between, you know, they're seeing their, um, their moment, um, diminish a bit just with the advent of technology. Um, when you think of that, John, what, what, what type of holiday traditions at the mall do you think of? You know, we did a whole episode about the mall experience not long ago on our show. And, you know, we talked about how, including the holidays where now it is not, it's easy to say, it's not like it used to be, Sure. but when you drill into what is it that it's not like it used to be, the mall used to be this hub, especially for Gen Xers. You know, we were in our teens, probably depending mm-hmm. on when you're born. I'm a 69 baby. And it was, this was pre-social media. This was pre, we could drive, you know, and it, it became, it was the place to hang out is where you got to see your crush. It was where you found mm-hmm. out who was dating who. And $20 was a whole day at the mall, right? You'd right. go to the mall and you would, you, you said, I would stop by tilt and play some games. Then I'd go to the food court. Then I'd go to Spencer's and look at the naughty posters. Then I would go somewhere, <laughs> and then I would go back to the arcade to blow whatever money I had left. Right. And then somebody picked you up at the end of the day. But in the meantime, you weren't, and it wasn't isolated experience. All your friends were there because right. that's where we all hung out because there was no online to hang out and do. So you had a much more in-person experience. And for Christmas time, that's when the mall just explodes at Christmas. Everything sure. that was great about the mall was cranked up to 11 around the holidays because they were having special you know, prizes and drawings and Santa was there. It was a Christmas and the train and kids were running around giveaways and people were trying to hand you free stuff at the orange Julius. And it was, oh my, I missed it was it. part of Christmas was yeah. going Christmas shopping or you just going to the toy store and seeing what stuff you wanted to ask for, for Christmas. Right. Yeah. That that's, um, that that's a big void now mm. with our kids and, you know, they're scrolling online for their Christmas lists and we were cruising the aisles of, of KB mm. toys and, and yeah. toys are us. And that's one of the issues I think is that we don't go to the mall, right? I haven't mm-hmm. been to the mall since before the pandemic and sure. the decorations, just yeah. the way it looked was always well, so beautiful. We go to the mall once a year, unless it's a, out of a, a necessity mm-hmm. and it's, right. it's to see Santa with, with our boys. It, it's to go see yeah. Santa Claus. And, and that's the the time to the mall. And it's still our orange Julius is gone. I don't know if orange oh. Julius is still a thing or anywhere else. Our, our orange Julius is, is not there anymore. So it's um, I, you can always smell the hot dogs rolling on the, the mm-hmm. hot dog roller on Julius. The Auntie um, Anne's pretzels wafting yeah. through, right? I pull a little nugget from uh, from our show. Uh, by 75, I found in my research that malls and shopping centers accounted for 33% of retail sales in the U.S. Wow. Compare that to even just 10 years ago. Not Don't worry about post-pandemic. Just today, what's that percentage? I don't know. That, that's I've, a good two, one. I mean, it's it's not the vast majority of retail sales. I mean, you got you know, online vendors and stuff are the juggernauts there and the malls sure. are just picking up the scraps now. They used to be the beasts. And and the one thing that looking forward, um, because that's you know th- that's my professional obligation for for our clients is is to look forward. Mm-hmm. Um growing up in a small town. 
having our office in that same small town, um, if the malls are starting to diminish, hopefully the small town comes back to life. Um, the main street yeah. stores and the main street hardware stores. And, and, you know, you think about seeing those, unfortunately we only see those in Hallmark Christmas movies now. Um, you know, but <laughs> hopefully maybe seeing those come back to life um, soon will, will be what's, what's on the forefront there. Um, getting into deeper into the, the Gen X holidays, we talked mm -hmm. about the Christmas tree. Um, let's talk about what was under the Christmas tree. And when we think about the toys from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, you know, we think about all of the pandemonium over things like Cabbage Patch dolls. And we yep. think of, um, you know, the favorite toy that we opened and, and it's still etched in our memory and, and we'll get into mine here in a bit. And I'm sure we all have that, that mm -hmm. signature morning that we remember something. Um, John, what do you see as the... Um, the the signature uh, toy that was open on Christmas Day uh, from our generation, and, and we can break oh. that down into you know seventies yeah. and eighties and nineties. There's there's all kinds of, of things. Okay, and yeah. As technology advanced, so did the toys, and you know we we went from, um, you know action figures to video games over the course of our childhood. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you mm -hmm. see as some signature toys there? Well, it started very very low tech, right? Before they started putting a chip in everything, and you got. Uh, you know, one that I remember was, it was a staple and not just for me, for every kid everywhere. Somehow, you know, there was a memo that went out to told parents that is anything you do, you've got to buy some kind of a Nerf ball. Nerf yes. just blew up in the early seventies and it started with it, that crazy orange football. And then they started making Nerf everything and they padded for whatever reason, every Nerf football I ever saw had a bite out of it. I'm not sure why that <laughs> happened. Because we all had a little brother, that's why. I guess that's why. <laughs> but it, it, it uh, especially for boys, I know for uh, the the kids in my neighborhood, it was like as soon as you got a Nerf ball, the whole the selling thing of the Nerf ball was that uh, it was safe, right? You could throw yeah. it at people. Well, that's basically a license to throw it at people. So sure. that's what we did. We threw it at one another. We we made up new games that involved tagging your buddy and pegging him with it because we knew it would just sting a little. You know, you got hit, but you didn't get hurt. Right. right. And which was kind Until of you filled up with water and froze it. But that's 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 yeah. Well, that's, that's what you do with either. the bite. Right? You get the bite, <laughs> soak it in the pool. Now it's heavy. It's, it's a right. blast. It blows up with water when it hits. And our, our parents had to be thrilled that we were moving on to Nerf away from uh, lawn darts. Right. Oh, <laughs> I still miss my jarts. <laughs> the jarts. Right. My brother, I think, has has a little bit of uh, PTSD from our childhood when it comes to, to jarts. I think I caught yeah. him one time. Um, a lot of little brothers do. I think yeah. that's, that's pretty standard. <laughs> he shouldn't have been there, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's his fault. <laughs> right. When in seventies saw the birth of, um, you know, the Star Wars action figures, which was oh, a yeah. huge thing from from our childhood. Um, we closed out the seventies with Simon. Remember the, mm -hmm. the touch game and the memory game, Simon? That was just getting the beginning of those electronic toys where, yeah, yeah that's when the consumer electronics got miniature enough that they started going into toys because before then it was like, don't give kids electronics because it's right. too expensive. You're going to break them. And now you get the miniaturization of these chips and they put them in everything. And that became the, every toy had some kind right. of, it talked or it moved or it did whatever. Yeah. Simon was on the forefront of that. Yes. So 
as we moved into the eighties, what, what did mm-hmm. you start to see as it became popularized and, and became favorites? So I mentioned cabbage patch kids from, mm-hmm. you know, that was the pandemonium yeah. of the early eighties for, um, for toys. What, what else? In the beginning of the eighties, I leapt onto one of my favorite toys still today. And, and not only is it a favorite toy, but it's emblematic of the eighties. Like if, if, if you want to do some wallpaper, that's eighties, right? You put like a boom box and a skateboard, and some cool Ray-Bans, and you put a Rubik's Cube. Yes. Rubik's Cube, I mean, it, it, it has an amazing history, you know, how it was devised as a teaching tool by Erno Rubik, and then people figured out it was fun, and so many people are infuriated by it. Uh, I remember <laughs> it, was, it, it was so great because I went and bought the book like with my own money because I wanted to learn how to solve it. And I found out it's not that difficult, but people still think it is, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's just, it's not though. It's, it I can show you Wendy. I can teach no, you. It's so easy. Don't tell me how easy it is. I could never do it. But that exploded. It wasn't just that one toy was the thing. You didn't just get a Rubik's cube and you're done. Everybody had a Rubik's cube and they had one at home and they had the keychain and they had the one that was hanging on their backpack. And yes, and, and Many, uh, granted, many were knockoffs, but the point is it saturated the market probably for the first half of the 80s, and it only settled but didn't die down. So Rubik's Cube is one that uh, it continues to be a favorite of mine. Yes. See, for me in the 80s, it was He-Man. You know, I was I was oh. young when He-Man was introduced. I had them all. I had Castle Grayskull. I had uh, Skeletor's Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, I would sit and watch He-Man. Yeah. Um it was, and just recently, I just watched the um, the Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us, right? And they're highlighted as being really one of the first toy manufacturers to create a show after the toy. Most of the, the toys were were created because of shows. He Man went That's the opposite it. direction, and is really a great marketing lesson. Um, from our generation. And, That's right. I mean, now, Will, do you always, whenever you take out your He-Men and play with them or He-Mans, he's a He-Man or He-Mans, they're um, masters of the universe. Master of the universe, right. <laughs> when well, you pull them out to play with them, do you do you, do you thank Ronald Reagan for making He-Man possible? Because he's the one that made that happen, you know? Right. Um, I so don't, it, and, and back to the sore subject that you kind of picked the scab oh, off right. of earlier yeah. today. Um, my He-Man guys did not survive uh, oh. a garage sale. Um, oh, oh, and, uh, my mom sold them for a quarter a piece at a garage sale. Our neighbor arms, beast man, stink or all gone. Orco. I had an Orco cake from, which was probably my fourth or fifth birthday. My mom uh, made an Orco cake. Um, so I have missed both the nostalgia and the investment opportunity from, from my original He-Man guys mm-hmm. um, that, that have been sold into the void and probably at two or three garage sales at this point and uh, a target now for Gary V, I guess, to go buy at a garage sale and, and flip on eBay. And mm-hmm. I'll end up being the guy that buys them back for $30 instead of, <laughs> but no, I, my, my He-Man guys did not survive the, um, the binge cleaning of the, the late oh. 90s. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I know you're listening to the Monetary Mixtape because you want to learn about financial planning and wealth management. If you have any questions at the end, please head over to www.hoffmanwealth.com or look in the show notes to schedule a call with us. 
man. It, it um, is fascinating, though, when you talked about the fact that it was a show made for a toy. It was though, and I referenced referenced the Reagan administration. The deal was it's really. I think they even covered it in the documentary. But the thing is that ever since the origin of television, well, in the '60s at least, when they started to regulate it, there was a rule that you only a certain amount of advertising could be targeted to kids, and toy advertisers were kind of basically doing what he-man was doing they were making shows that kind of were advertisements for toys and and the faa said uh, faa <laughs> those pilots <laughs> will say right the fcc <laughs> right fcc uh, in one of those three-letter acronyms the fcc said no 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 you can't do that this is you know at least educational if it's not educational then you it can't be marketing to kids right but in the early 80s the Reagan administration said you know what you guys are grown-ups and they dropped all that they deregulated advertising for kids and so shows like that shows like mask and transformers and he-man and so many shows voltron they literally yeah voltron great they literally said let's make a toy and let's put a story behind the toy and make that the show and they were fun shows in their own right but literally every new character they introduced on any of those shows they introduced it because the mold was in production right it was because <laughs> right here's a new guy you know, they, they probably said, hey, you know, He-Man's like, hey, Skeletor, should we show you my Orco cake? Because Will's going to get one for Christmas a little later. He's <laughs> and get they a man and everything. <laughs> got us hook, line and sinker. They 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 yeah. saw us coming. Right. And it worked. It worked. Yep. And, it, and, and the thing is, we didn't hate it. The, right. The problem was, they, oh, you're going to corrupt children or whatever. And what happened? We had one of the most amazing childhoods of any generation yes. on record because they pandered to us and gave us what we wanted. Yeah, we told people to buy us toys, but the point was we loved doing it. We loved getting the toys and we loved the media they made that advertised to us because it was fun. It was tailored to us. Yes. And, and I'm going to interject my favorite toy from, from holidays now because it, it occurred in the 80s. Um, okay. The, the morning, the Christmas morning, I will always remember would be the morning in Christmas of 1986 when we opened up our Nintendo. Oh, boy. And it's got the Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt <laughs> yep. game. Um, that just, that mine still works. That mm -hmm. did survive um, any garage sale. It's still at my house. It still works. I still have all my games. I still have to blow in them before I play them. It <laughs> still works. Um, my kids were amazed at how quickly... I can go through Mario Brothers. The muscle memory is still there. A mm -hmm. um, little bit of a funny story. The first person in my house, now I grew up with I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Um, my dad got into Nintendo. He, he, they made a golf game that my dad loved. Um, mm -hmm. Tetris was a favorite of, of my parents. Also, the first person in my house to get past Bowser the first time. And that was in World 1-4. Because we mm -hmm. didn't know there was anything beyond one dash four, was my mother. Oh, really? My mother was the first one <laughs> to get past Bowser the first time. We woke up the next morning. She couldn't wait to tell us. And then she told us <laughs> that our princess was in another castle. And oh, there no. was more beyond that. Now, I was eight and my brother would have been, you know, five or six. So um, we didn't, we didn't realize that Mario's world was so much was broader larger, than the first. Right. Right. We were used to those single screen games like your Pac-Man and your Donkey Kong and right. your Frogger. It was like goals to get top to bottom and that's the game. And Mario was so much larger. And you were probably crestfallen to find out that, oh no, the you know the princess is in another castle? Right. Who knew that that opened up a world of 
of amazing adventures for Mario. Right. And there just were eight more the princess, castles we had to get the, through. Right. The princess is forever in another castle. That's how it goes. And that's <laughs> right. That makes that that's why we can keep playing. May have been the uh signature theme to my dating as a child, too, was the princess always <laughs> seemed to be in another castle. Sorry, Will, not this one. <laughs> So that that was my my favorite toy, and, I, and we're going to yep. talk about our favorites. But I want to interject there because I have a feeling that when we get to the '90s, you're going to compound on what my favorite my Christmas was. So go ahead. When we get to the '90s, oh man! So I don't know if it's my favorite toy, but it's definitely one that made a huge impact. So being a little bit older by the '90s, I I, I graduated high school. Actually, I was out. So. I was out driving cars and running around, but I definitely appreciated and had and played the hell out of the evolution of the NES. And that was the Game Boy. Yeah. That came out in 91. And I was actually a proponent of the Atari Lynx that was in many ways a superior uh, handheld to the Game Boy. But the Game Boy just, it, we just talked about Mario. It had Mario. Right. It had that quality over quantity philosophy that Nintendo had. And uh, my grown daughter today manages a used video game store and people still come in and buy PlayStation 5 and Xbox One stuff, but they're also going to see what's on the old Game Boy shelf. They want to say like, oh, I had that. I want that one. I, you know, even if they're not playing it, they want to hold that that square cartridge that they knew was in their pocket when they were in a car with their parents or they were on a trip or they were visiting somebody or whatever that becomes a totem of your childhood. Even yeah. if I'm not putting it in a Game Boy, that thing represents a kind of escapism from adult life. Right. And the Game Boy let you take your game out of the house. It made, you, it you can, made the I can road imagine, trip tolerable, right? Yeah. I can imagine your Christmas, you never left the house when you got your NES. Well, now you can leave the house right. and you can have your cake and eat it too. You can leave and continue <laughs> to play. Take the great, take it to grandma's house whenever the adults exactly are talking. Right. We can tuck in the corner, yep. and and then they started with the accessories, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Game Boy Light, um, yep. the, the, and the magnifier glass that, that went over the top, so you could you know see a, a little bit bigger screen and play it night when you were supposed to be going to bed, and and all that's yeah. The, the, it looks like a behemoth when you bolt on the battery and the magnifier and the speakers and the worm light and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it was a battery drain, but. You know, anything that allowed you like, well, now I can play in the dark. Well, now I can play with my headphones. Well, now I can, you know, all those things. It just, it was, again, an extension of my escape from the adult world. And I can jump back into my game wherever I'm at. Yeah. It was awesome. See, when I think of the 90s, I think of Tickle Me Elmo. That, that was <laughs> sort of the um, the explosion that we experienced with Cabbage Patch Kids reemerged with Tickle Me Elmo and folks yeah. waiting in line for this, you know, the doll that, you know, we had grown up with, with, with Sesame Street mm -hmm. and- I can still hear it and, and see Tickle Me Elmo. And then they had the different versions. My my oldest son had a Tickle Me Elmo version at one point. So it, it's it's also transcended generations. And that's what I've yet to understand. Like, I understand the appeal of the Cabbage Patch Kids. I think those are really cool. It was a great idea they had where they made them individual and they have them a birth certificate. And yeah, but Tickle Me Elmo was just a mass-produced Sesame Street doll with a motor and a speaker in it. And why was it such a absolute watershed moment for toy right. collectors? Or why did everybody have to have one? It seems like it's not that big of a deal. Right. Somebody who loved Tickle Me Elmo will tell me someday, but I, I feel like it was just one of those snowballs that it wasn't that everybody wanted one. It was, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll channel my inner millennial. It was a little FOMO. A little fear of missing <laughs> right. Out. If you didn't like, have everybody one. wants it. 
because then it took one. off with like the Furby was after that, and mm-hmm. everybody wanted yeah. this this smaller version of Tickle Me Elmo to and that you know you could raise and it laughed, and then the the what were the the little keychain like pocket pets the um uh tamagotchi tamagotchi that's what it was right tamagotchi right <laughs> so as we start to wind down um wendy what when you think back to to gen x what was your favorite toy what was what was the the signature um toy for wendy growing up well you know when you talk about like opening on christmas morning um i have the loser version of what you guys are talking about the video oh. game console uh, in television. Oh, okay. I love in television. Which most yeah. people probably have not even heard of. <laughs> we oh. always got the wrong brand of everything. <laughs> we got a Betamax instead of a VHS oh. machine. <laughs> but oh. the things that I remember playing with the most are Lightbrite. Yeah. Which I loved. And uh, Weebles. Weevils wobble, wobble, but they, they don't, don't fall, fall down. down. That's right. <laughs> they were huge. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Those are good picks. There's um and John, so the our our resident toy expert, what is the what what's the the favorite oh boy um, in yours or your opinion? What was the favorite toy that Gen X is probably sitting at home saying? Oh man, I, I you know, I, I, I'm going to go with, I, I could pick generic what Gen X thinks, but you know, when I think of Christmas and I think of toys, it's, it's very personal. So I think me sure. and under the Christmas tree, there were two things you always had. They were staples. I always had an Atari cartridge or a few, and I always had some Legos or a few. Um, but the one that I keep thinking back to, and it's actually my Holy grail to reclaim is uh I was, I was, am, was, and still am a huge nut about the $6 million man. And yeah. I had $6 million man and I had the bionic woman. I had Mascatron and I had all of his vehicles and had all that stuff. But in 1977, somehow Kenner came up with the brilliant idea to release Oscar Goldman, the $6 million man's boss. And it's a 12 inch <laughs> action figure with like a tweed jacket and slacks, but he's, it made the universe so much realer because it's like, yeah, I have the heroes, but now I have like the hero's boss, like the guy he talks to that gives him missions and it it expanded play. And plus Oscar Goldman had this amazing exploding briefcase. And if you've never seen it, (laughs) it was just a trick where if you pulled the handle and turned it, it would open normally. And inside were like little tiny manila file folders with confidential stamped on them. But if you turned it, Without pulling it out first, it exploded. The top popped off with a spring, and the part that opened looked all like cooked and fried and burnt and exploded. It's just like a little magic trick, basically. But it added so much to my play and it reclaiming an old Oscar Goldman, like an original one, in the box. In the box, they're going for three, four, five hundred dollars now. Wow. I have one out of the box, but I don't have the I don't have the exploding briefcase, which is kind of like the linchpin for it. But I remember getting that. And what happened was Oscar Goldman became the boss of all of my toys and action figures, right? If I had a stuffed animal, Oscar <laughs> Goldman told him what to do that day, right? <laughs> he just, he became the, he wasn't just the head of OSI. He was the head of everything in John's wow. playroom. So he was That's my awesome. favorite that I, oh yeah, it's awesome. So let's transition quickly. I, I'm only going to have one gift toy that, I just don't get, I'm going to call it the worst of our generation. Ooh, I can't 
I can't wrap my head around it. I never understood it. It's probably a, a, a um, nod to marketing genius was the pet rock. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I can't. The non-toy. The non-toy. I can't understand how this gained popularity, how it was a must-have in the 70s, this, this pet rock that I just, I wasn't there for it. I don't get it. Um, I don't know if any of you can help me understand this, but I mean, how <laughs> disappointing would, I mean, if you're bad, you're told you're getting a lump of coal for Christmas and now we're opening, <laughs> we're opening up a lump of coal and a pet rock. I just, I, I can't wrap my head around why the pet rock was, was so popular. I never got it either. I always just kind of felt like the pet rock is a, a collective delusion that everyone was buying into. Yeah. Because we all knew deep down it was just a rock, but I remember someone got and a genuine pet rock. The thing was, it had to be in the the box. It had and had holes punched in it for air. Like <laughs> right, I'm looking at a photo of it right now. Like like a bed of straw <laughs> for the rock to lie on, so it was comfortable. And then you take it out, and for a second you're like, okay, let's see, what is it that's special? And then a couple of minutes you're like, it really is just a rock. Like you're certain. I remember the first time I encountered one at a friend's house and I'm like, I can't wait to dig in and see what the deal is with it. Right. And you, and you keep looking for the thing that makes it interesting. <laughs> it, it's just this, that we're all going to agree that it's funny and cute. It's a pet. It's it, a pet. it didn't make any sense to me either. <laughs> Easy to take care of, I guess. Yep. So as we wind up and, and um, you know, hopefully our listeners um, and fans of the monetary mixtape nostalgia has been, Struck, um, if they want to hear more, John, and see more mm -hmm. about Gen X grown up, your your content and, and the sure. things you discuss, what's the best way for our listeners to, to start to follow you and, and check out some of the stuff that you talk about? Yeah, well, the absolute easiest way is to go straight to our website, which is genxgrownup.com. That's G-E-N-X, grown up, all one word. And that's how you find us anywhere. Okay. Uh, we create regular YouTube content. You can go to YouTube and search for Gen X Grown Up. We have a weekly audio podcast where every week we talk about nostalgic stuff that we remember and fondly and how it's changed and that sort of thing um, from a perspective of Gen Xers who were there when it happened. You know, instead of just young guys talking about, oh, that's nostalgic. No, that's my stuff, right? We're that's talking my about stuff, it from right? perspective. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the podcast, the YouTube, the website. You can find it all there. Uh, it's myself and my two co-hosts, Mo and George, every week on the podcast. And uh, we have a huge and amazing following of folks that we absolutely adore. Uh, we also have a great Discord server. You can head over to genxgrownup.com slash Discord to engage with us and talk yeah. with us directly. And, and as a follower and fan, it, it's it's fun stuff to um, decompress for a while and and you know, go back to our childhood and, and see what, what we were so fond of. Like you said, we, mm -hmm. we grew up in the gilded age of, of childhoods. Um, we, we had all these toys, all this, these electronics, things that we haven't even been able to talk about, like the tiger handheld video games. I always mm -hmm. remember mad balls. Yep. Go over to, to um, Gen X grown up and, and check out John uh, and his co-hosts content and uh, material on this stuff. The cool thing about being a Generation Xer, Will and Wendy, is every generation believes they had the best childhood. It's just that we can rest comfortable knowing that we are correct. Right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> well, as we as we uh, close now, this is this is going to be our ep last episode of of 2022. Um, I want to say thank you uh, for all of you for listening. Um, this was a new venture for us this year. It's been 
Uh, one of the most fun things I've done in this profession in a long time. Um, I'm really looking forward to 2023, having more guests on like John that, that tap into to, um, our nostalgia, our childhood, while we mix that all in with um, mm -hmm. some wealth management and in, um, an investment insight. And really looking forward to the content and topics and guests that we have coming up for the for the next year. So all of you, thank you for listening. Wendy, thank you for being here with us. John, a, a giant thank you for joining us today. Um, I can't wait to thank have you, you back and and, um, and look for some some more opportunities for us to do some things together. Um, remember, if, if you want to get in touch with us, hoffmanwealth.com is our website. Uh, links are in, in the show notes. Um, for you to be able to book a discovery call with us that if you have any questions or anything that we can help with. Um, but in closing, please make sure you have a wonderful holiday season, a safe holiday season, and hope that you're all looking forward to a prosperous and healthy 2023. Thank you all. And thank you for joining us today on Monetary Mixtape. Please like, follow, and share with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Don't bounce just yet. The streetlights haven't come on. Thank you for listening to the Monetary Mixtape Podcast. If you thought this episode was dope, then click the follow button to be notified when we drop a new episode. Visit our website at hoffmanwealth.com or give us a call at 724-522-5411. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hoffman Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, investment advice offered through Private Advisor Group, a registered investment advisor. Private Advisor Group and Hoffman Wealth Management are separate entities from LPL Financial. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly.